0: Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators, a podcast for translators by translators, bringing you simple strategies to build better habits. In each episode, we'll focus on specific habits for translators in various stages of their careers. If you're a translator who enjoys learning about habits to improve your business and lifestyle, then this is the podcast for you. We're your hosts, Madalena Sanchez Zampaolo
1: and Veronica de Michelis. Like you, we are professional freelance translators trying to balance the challenges that come with building a career and maintaining clarity and boundaries between work and personal life. We hope you'll join us in this conversation about smart habits and discover some simple strategies you can apply today to help you build your career and achieve the lifestyle you desire.
0: Smart Habits for Translators. This is episode 76. December is certainly a busy season for most of us with so much work to wrap up before the holidays and so many personal and family commitments and activities. It's also a time when we reflect on the accomplishments we made this year and what goals we'd like to set for the coming year. If one of your objectives next year is to take a certification exam or translation test, we think you'll find this episode useful.
1: Yes, several listeners asked us for tips on preparing for exams and tests, so we're happy to share our experiences and advice on this topic. Um, And stay tuned until the end of the episode for some bonus advice from many of our colleagues. Uh, We both know that getting certified as a translator and or as an interpreter and passing a translation test for your dream client can be a big milestone in your career, but it can also be a stressful experience. So let's talk about some ways to make these situations less nerve-wracking and increase your chances of success.
0: Yeah, taking exams and tests is such a big part of of what we do because um, I was thinking about this the other day, and honestly, there's just a very low uh, barrier to entry In our profession at least in the United States Um, we're not a regulated profession here and so a lot of people just you know obviously we all know this and we're preaching to the choir but a lot of people think that all you have to do is be bilingual to be a translator Mm -hmm. or an interpreter so these exams and these tests are actually really important for our work Um, even though like you said they're extremely nerve-wracking so um, what are some ways that uh, we can prepare Well, we've got tons of great ideas in this episode, but we first want to start off with um, our own experiences. Uh, And so for me, I think one of the things that I would share is when I took the uh, certification exam for the American Translators Association, I took that Uh, let's see, in 2019, um, it's considered a mid-career exam. So I did not take it early on. And also for a variety of reasons, I just didn't take it uh, right away when I got started as a translator because uh, I was gaining experience. And also, for many of you who know who've taken the exam in person, it's difficult when the exam is not in a location close to you. So for me, it never was in all the different places that I've lived over the years. Um, And so... It ended up that in 2019, the exam was here in Orange County, where I live. And I decided to go ahead and take it, and it was in person. The exam was not yet available online. Um, Now, of course, it is. But I also uh, wanted to be sure that I had the time to prepare for it. So I worked with a colleague um, who also works from Portuguese to English and who has passed the Spanish to English exam. And we studied with each other for, I want to say, close to a year we were studying. Um, We were meeting every week, uh, which sounds like a lot. It is. (laughs) And we were um, translating texts that we found... um, You know, online, mostly from news sources, especially I forget the name of the website now, but there was a website from Brazil that we used quite a bit that had wonderful uh, informational articles on different topics, lots of different interesting topics and Mm -hmm. mostly current events. So I think that tip about translating, you know, practice um, passages from current event articles, I forget how we got that information to to or that idea to, to do that. But I think it probably came from an article written by somebody on the ATA certification committee. Um, and so we did that, and we would each translate the text, and then we would trade it, and we would sort of not grade it for each other, but we would uh, revise it for each other. Mm. Um, and then we would get together and talk about why we made the changes that we did. It was actually one of the most beneficial things I think I've done in, ever for my career, um, and not just to study for the exam, but in general, to have somebody who could be sort of like your revising buddy or, you know, have like a revising group that you maybe practice with generally speaking, just to keep improving. Mm -hmm. I, it was one of the best things really. And I can't, you know, say enough about it. It really was helpful. Um, and then the other thing that I did for sure is I took all of the practice exams that were available for my language pair. And I want to say it was like three Mm -hmm. passages, three exams. Um, So the way that the American Translators Association does it is that they retire old passages of the exam and then they use those as practice exams which you can purchase and take. And I know a lot of people choose not to take the practice exams, but honestly, that is one of the best ways to know how you're doing um, and to get that graded. And so make sure if you if you buy one and you take it, you turn it in and see how you're doing mm-hmm. because it really is um, challenging and it really does mirror how the passages on the exam will be as far as length and um, level of difficulty and so on. So... That was my experience with the ATA exam um, and the strategies that I used. Um, and then, of course, since I've had it, I've been able to translate um, you know, vital documents for a lot of individuals looking to either get married or um, get certain information that they need translated for immigration purposes and things like that. That's been a big thing that has happened since then. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, just in general, when, when a client needs somebody who's ATA certified, you know, at least in my language pair, there's not as many of us uh, that do Portuguese to English. So that's been beneficial and of course, with that, I can command higher rates um, as a certified translator. Yeah. What about you? What's been your experience, Veronica?
1: Um, So I um, also passed the ATA certification exam. Um, I did that in 2018. And the year before that, in 2017, I also passed the core CHI exam, um, which is language neutral. It's a computerized exam um, for healthcare interpreters. Um, So I... um, Ever since I took the leap and um, quit my corporate job and became a freelance translator, it was really important for me to, um, just for my own kind of any feelings of self-doubt or imposter syndrome I felt at the time because I was switching careers after working for 18 years in in another field, um, I felt like I had to for my own sake pass the certification Mm -hmm. exam both as an interpreter and a translator um, so I could Mm -hmm. feel more confident and um, really feel like I started my business on the right foot Um, so I did that and uh, it was a really interesting experience uh, both of these exams I feel like the preparation was really really key for both of them so for the Mm -hmm. course HI exam I studied on my own. Um, What helped me at the time was to set the date. So I booked the date and the time of my exam. Um, You have to take it at at a testing location. So I booked uh, booked a Mm -hmm. location uh, here in Houston, and I knew exactly the date I would take it. And I gave myself half a year to prepare, which is probably not necessary, but I did that because I had uh, a young child at the time. And so that gave me time to slowly but surely prepare for the exam and read all the materials. And I also took um, a practice exam with CCHI, and I felt really
0: confident, and I passed the exam uh, my first attempt. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's that's really good, because I mean, I think I was telling you before we, we recorded this that that exam wasn't available when I was mm-hmm. an interpreter when I first yeah. started. And it, was, it became available after I made the switch to becoming a translator. Right. And I think that you know when you're going to take an exam like this. This is something that you could try to study with other people, but at the same time, if you if you have to do it on your own, there are strategies and it's it's yeah. doable. So I think that's really Absolutely, cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, do you know? I think now maybe you can take this exam online. I think so. Yeah. You think so? Yeah. I feel like I heard that somewhere. Yeah,
1: And, you know, um, an organization such as CCHI, they have a checklist. They have, like, on their website, they have all the information Mm -hmm. on how to prepare for the exam. You you can download a checklist. And that's what I did. I just followed the checklist. I did all the things that were recommended. Yeah. Um, And what I tell my students now that I teach... Um, I recommend them either to do it on their own or find a study buddy. So if one of them wants to uh, take the exam, um, mm-hmm. they can look for another colleague or you know student in their class who also has that goal and they can work together mm-hmm. and keep each other accountable. Um, for me at the time, I just didn't know anyone else who would want to do that. But yeah. it worked fine to prepare for that on my own. Um, and for the ATA certification exam, I did many things because I <laughs> kept hearing that this is a mid-career uh, milestone for translators. And I um, mm-hmm. I have had a master's degree in linguistics. I worked as a translator and interpreter before, but um, I, it was the first time that I did this lead to being a full-time freelance translator. Um, so I wanted to make mm-hmm. sure that I'm really ready for the exam. So I joined the um, ATA Slavic Language Division practice group. Um, it's a group that uh, meets online through Slack and uh, it still functions, uh, and I even uh, wow. stayed in the group after I passed the exam because it's just a really great way to practice your skills and get feedback and help other people with feedback. So just like you mm-hmm. said, it's a really good thing to do to keep up with your professional skills. Uh, what we did there is we uh, had, you know, volunteers among us who were running the group. They would find passages um, online that would kind of feel, have the same feel as the passage you would get on the on the actual test Um, and we would all uh, Mm -hmm. translate it and then uh, trade translate you know take turns reviewing each other's translations and give feedback Um, So that was really helpful. And from time to time, we would even have a former grader or just um, a certified translator in that language pair who is also a member of the uh, division uh, would also give us feedback or just generally comment on some of the translation challenges and the passages that we worked with. So that was really helpful. Mm. Um, I also did all the practice tests available, all of
0: them. Yeah, it's truly
1: important. It seems like overkill, but it's really important. Right. Yeah, it just makes you feel that you're truly ready Um, and another thing that I did was I uh, took a workshop with a very experienced colleague who is a certified translator in my language pair and she is a former grader um, so she has her own training company and she organized a workshop for inter-russian translators um, that wasn't necessarily uh, targeting, you know, prepar- preparing for the exam, but it was just in general working uh, with um, grammar, style, punctuation and all that. So that was really, really helpful. It was a small group and uh, we both got feedback from her and uh, also gave feedback to each other. So I feel like Mm -hmm. all of these strategies really helped me prepare. Um, And uh, I did the same thing with the ATA certification exam. I booked the date in advance. I want to say also about half a year in advance. And that gave me time to prepare. Um, And um, I felt really ready uh, when it came to the exam date. Um, I passed the exam on my first attempt and uh, told all of my existing clients right away. Many of them were like, oh, that's wonderful. And I really did, I felt like I was able to raise my rates. I started getting uh, more interesting assignments. And uh, with newer clients, I felt that m- in many cases when they uh, knew, you know, when they learned that I was a certified translator, they waived the test, the practice test requirement or a translation test. Oh, interesting, yeah. yeah. So I didn't have to do it all the time, um, which was the case before. So, yeah, I was really, I'm really happy that I did that um, and I'm happy with the way I prepared for it. (laughs) Cool. Um, So I think uh, what is important uh, to keep in mind and do when you um, uh, get ready for an exam is to learn as much as possible about the exam setting. Um, to uh, learn whether the exam is in person or online um, and how exactly it all takes place so you can mentally prepare for the exam experience and uh, also think through what you will need to have with you or close by, uh, any resources that you can use and whether they're allowed uh, during the exam um, and also some strategies for handling things that can make you feel nervous or be distracting for you. And I know when it comes to the um, ATA certification exam, what I did uh, when I was preparing and since uh, after I passed and I, I, if I am recommending some uh, you know, resources for colleagues who want to take the exam, and there are many articles uh, published in the ATA Chronicle by colleagues who share their experience, their strategies uh, with things that help them um, take the exam during the exam, before the exam, and so on, practical things. Uh, things that have to do with um, the actual translation skills and so on, and mm-hmm. even sim- simple things like, you know, as I mentioned, resources. Are you sure that the online resources that you are used to using uh, at home when you are translating, that they're actually allowed during an exam? Um, um, are you okay if you're taking an exam uh, in person? Are you okay with other people working next to you nearby, or will you find it distracting? Um, how will you respond to you know if you're taking an exam online from your home will you be okay with the fact that there's um, someone um, monitoring your performance and making sure that you're not uh, cheating on the exam Um, and things like that just realizing you know what all takes place how it's happening so that you are less nervous and more prepared for the actual um, Mm -hmm. day you're taking the exam What about you, Madalena? What tips do you have for exam day?
0: Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, now it's funny because with so many exams being available to take online or from your home Mm -hmm. office, maybe this is a little bit different, but I think some things probably still carry over. Um, For me, personally, when I took the exam, I wanted to make sure that I was very familiar with the list of the uh, resources that I was allowed to use and made sure that I knew which resources I was not allowed to use on the exam because there is a list, as you said. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, I I made sure that I was familiar with the ones that were allowed. So even if I didn't regularly use them in my work, I think it's important to be familiar with the ones that are allowed on the exam and actually use them before you get to the exam regularly. You know, uh, try to make um, habit of knowing exactly how the tool works because not every tool is the same. So once you get mm-hmm. to the exam, you don't want to be fumbling around, uh, especially because these exams are timed, you know, trying to figure out, I don't know the way their search function works. I don't know what, but you know, something like that. You really want to make yeah. sure that you're, a, you're a, up to speed on the tool. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that, um, was a little nerve wracking for me is that, um, at least the ATA exam, you can't use Microsoft word. I think it's something mm-hmm. like you have to use like notepad or whatever is yes. on your computer, like the True. the plain text, like whatever that's yes. called. Um, you know, simple word WordPad, <laughs> Wordpad, Yeah. Like processor. Yeah. That was a little bit strange. And I, I knew that ahead of time. So I did practice using that, um, yes. you know, with some passages I was translating because it's not the same as working in mm. a word or whatever you work in normally. Absolutely. I mean, it just is not the same. <laughs> so,
1: yeah.
0: um, and the way that I work when I translate is if I want to go back to a term or or a phrase and I know that I want to go back to it, I try to highlight it. Right? You know, I I, I give mm-hmm. myself like I have my own set of of um, like color coordinated type of things that I use for highlighting. But you can't do that with these. And so it sounds really kind of silly and simple, but you ha- you mm-hmm. have to come up with another way to flag something you want to go back to and not lose time. Yes. So yeah. I forget exactly what I did, but it was something along the lines of using all caps or bold or something like that. I guess because it's such a simple tool. There's really not much you could do with it. Um, yeah. And then what else? Oh, I made sure to bring um, earplugs. As well, uh, just because with so many people in the same room typing, it can be very distracting, like you said. Um, Of course, if you take it from home, that's a little different. But, you know, you might have distractions at home that that are different. And you need to sort of determine, you know, what could possibly be distracting for you. Maybe you need to put a note on your front door that tells people delivering packages to just leave it at the door and not ring the bell. Like those kinds of things, you know. Yeah, um, that could be very distracting. Like there's, there's ways to prepare for this scenario that I think we should all be thinking about ahead of time you can't you certainly can't block out every little thing that could possibly happen but you can prepare enough to think about you know what could happen that could be distracting or what might happen that might be a problem and try to um you know mitigate those things beforehand as much as possible uh i did bring my best um and most (laughs) dog-eared paper dictionaries, but I ended up using those the least, honestly. I used the um, available digital resources that were allowed more. Um, It's also a time saver, but I had them as a backup. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of, I guess, my tip there is to make sure that you mitigate any potential issues that could come up with a backup system of some sort, if if possible, obviously. Um, And so... I also was very careful about watching my time. I'm a test taker who I I tend to do pretty well on time, but if I see that I'm running out of time, I start to get nervous. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, I work better under pressure. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I'm the one who delivers a day early every time on purpose, you know. Yes. So I I want to like kind of give myself a buffer. So working with the clock is very important, which is why the practice mm-hmm. I think is so vital. Um, so just being aware of all these different factors and limitations is something that. You you just can't over-prepare for, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. It's one of those situations where you feel like you don't get this chance very often, so you really have to take full advantage of it. And being prepared is really half the battle of all of these exams, in my opinion. Um, Yeah,
1: and it's such a big um, investment, not mm -hmm. just time investment, but like financially. Oh, yeah. Um, These exams can be expensive, and you've already invested so much time and money probably in preparing for them. Exactly. So, really want to put all the eggs in the basket.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, now let's talk about another situation that happens pretty often in the life of a translator. And we know we have interpreter listeners, so probably also happens a lot with with interpreters, um, but that is taking a translation test for a client. So clients, especially agencies, will often ask you to take a short translation test, um, or it could be an interpreting test. Um, So let's talk about some smart habits to try to make those, at least as much as possible, less nerve-wracking. For me, I think one of the things that I think about when it comes to a translation test uh, for a client is that... You don't have anything to lose; you only have something to gain. So, thinking about it that way and knowing that this is not the last translation test you'll ever take <laughs> is one of the ways I think about, um, you know, these situations that can be kind of um, nerve-wracking in general. And to prepare for them, um, I would probably ask the client questions. You know, I'm sure that most clients, most agencies are going to give you a set of parameters, but some. Don't give a lot of information. And so if they don't, I would say ask certain questions. You know, how long do you have for the exam? When do they need it delivered by? Uh, What is, do they have any, you know, things that are allowed or not allowed? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, just the different things that you would need to think about that could either disqualify you your your test or... um, could be a misunderstanding um i have received translation tests before as somebody who reviews them and i'm always surprised about uh the comments that the translator will make in the test mm-hmm. and it's very interesting some people will make no comments and some people will make a ton of comments and and you can see that they can't determine the right term, so they're trying to give you every possible term it could ever be. <laughs> so this is the kind of thing to think about ahead of time is to not only how you're going to take the test and to be prepared for it, you know, the different um, things that might come up during this test uh, or the different requirements for the client, but also to present the final version to the client with um, as polished as possible um, because... I think some people think that showing all those comments with possible terminology, um, you know, variations, would be a plus. They would say, "Oh, this shows that I know a lot." But actually, it can mm-hmm. it can backfire and show that you don't know what the term should be. So mm-hmm. that's something very, like, you know, kind of into the weeds to think about. But it is something to think about as the final presentation of the test. Um, and I would say a couple more things would be to always deliver the test exactly how the client has requested it, because that shows yes. that you know how to follow directions, which is a vital part of working with clients. Um, and then there was one more thing I was thinking of. Let's see. Um, oh, I can't think of it now. I can't think of it. But if I, if I do, I'll come back yeah. to it. Yeah. What about you?
1: Yeah, I, um, I actually enjoy taking translation tests. I don't do them um, you know, all the time, but mm-hmm. I am willing to take them Um, The only caveat being I have learned to ask or to have this conversation Mm -hmm. uh, or email exchange with a client before I agree to take a translation test, whether to determine whether we are a good fit for each other, you know, because you don't want to you don't want to take the test. And then um, realize that the client's budget will never allow for, you know, for them to pay your rates or that they uh, expect you to work a certain number of hours per week for them or, mm-hmm. you know, that basically the workload they're, ex- they're expecting for your language pair um, is not in line with your capacity. So I've learned to ask these questions before <laughs> we start talking about the test. Mm-hmm. Um And I'm very happy to hear when clients are willing to pay for the test. I think it's really it's a very Mm -hmm. nice thing to do. Um, But I also take unpaid translation tests if they are reasonable. I have seen some requests uh, or invitations to take a test that would require hours of my time, mm-hmm. and I think that's um, not very reasonable for like right. a vague promise of maybe working together in the future. Um, but I am willing to um, to take a test that is reasonable, mm-hmm. um, say 250 to. 350 words or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Um, I always um, try to learn as much as possible about the client's expectations. So if they haven't sent, some send really detailed instructions down to save your file as, you know, do not add your language pair or, um, you know, some instructions along those lines. And if they don't send any instructions, I ask questions. Um, and try to find out as much as possible about Mm -hmm. their expectations. And also in terms of, you know, delivery, the file name and all that. Yeah, that's part of the test. Exactly. (laughs) You want to to be clear about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, um, I try to find out um, about any do's and don'ts in terms of style, um, forms of address, who is the target audience. Obviously, Mm -hmm. this is a fictional case, but who should I assume the target audience is? So that I yeah. um, know how to address them in the text, um, I do sometimes add comments, but I'm very um, I'm hesitant to add comments to the test unless it's absolutely necessary, um, and I also try to clarify any instructions from the client that could be. Um, ambiguous like if they say translate this creatively i i find try to find out if they mean uh, you know true transcreation or if they just mean uh translate making sure that this is clear and culturally appropriate because that can really be understood in different ways depending on Mm. what what you mean Mm -hmm. um and uh, yeah, I think the really important part is to read the instructions. If the client has sent instructions, no matter how lengthy they are, read them and follow them because, as you said, uh, that's part of the test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think that that would be my tips. I
0: thought of my last tip. Yeah. <laughs> so my last tip was um, to make sure when you schedule the exam to not schedule it during a time when you have like a lot of projects due for other clients, to not schedule it perhaps if you're like me at the end of a week when your brain is pretty much fried. Mm. Um, Sometimes you can't get around that particular bit, but really just making sure you give yourself ample time to do it and not that you're rushing into the test and rushing out of taking the test to get to the next thing. Because Mm. even that, if... If you're anything like me, even that can throw you off. So to really be having focus time and to put it on your calendar as if it were a client meeting, like it's extremely important. So mm-hmm. making sure that you don't um, overbook yourself and also book it if you can at a time when your mind is most fresh. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's, that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so to wrap up, let's share our top tip for preparing for an exam or a test. I think for me, that would be two different things really. For, for a translation or interpreting exam, I would say really talk to your colleagues or um, if you don't have anyone in your immediate network, ask around, see if anyone knows someone who has taken that exam in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, see if you could ask them a couple of questions, uh, maybe invite them for coffee if you're, if you're able to meet them in person and um, ask the questions uh, about the exam to feel better prepared. And when it comes to a translation test... Check the company's online presence, visit their website, um, see if they have some translated materials already and ask them if they're happy about them. You know, sometimes when they send you some, um, tra- you know, translation test that is related to their own products, mm-hmm. that happens often in localization. Uh, they may not be happy with their current localization provider or they, or on the contrary, they're trying to find someone whose style is very similar. So you want to make sure you understand Uh, what the company's tone of voice is, how they Mm -hmm. want to come across, and whether they have specific expectations um, as to the final product you're delivering, even though it's a a test. Um, So what about you, Madalena?
0: Yeah, that's a really good tip. Um, Mine is a simple tip, but it's one that I think a lot of people overlook, and that is to prepare more than you think you should, truly. I you know a lot of us have been doing this a long time. And so we think, oh, another translation test, or oh, you know, <laughs> I don't need to do all of this stuff on this checklist to take this certification exam. I know a lot of very seasoned professional translators and interpreters who've taken a certification exam and failed it the first time or first mm-hmm. and second time. It is not unusual to fail an exam due to a variety of reasons. So yeah. I would say prepare more than you think you should. And even then, it's possible, you may not pass, and that but that doesn't mean that you should just blow it off and never take it mm-hmm. again, you know, so yeah. I would say, um, you know, try to stay positive if you don't pass it the first time, ask questions, find out how you did um, as much as possible. you know, some exams are different about how they give out the results um, but just keep keep working at it and you will pass. Um, yeah, and and I think that that's something to keep in mind is that. You can never be too prepared for these things and, you know, also don't feel bad when there are plenty of really wonderful professionals out there who sometimes don't pass these things Mm -hmm. too. So that's what I would say. and finally, if you're thinking about you know what you might do in general to uh, check to see if a client is right for you before you take their translation test, uh, you might think about talking to other translators, like Veronica said, who maybe have worked for them before. Uh, you could check some of the online job boards that talk about you know where people can rate different customers and see how you know like what their what their rating is as far as do mm-hmm. they pay on time and things like that. But also um, you could. Just, you know, sit down and have a frank discussion with them. Um, And I think that that's worth even a few minutes of everybody's time to make sure you're both on the same page before you take the test. And if you need some more ideas on this, you can check out episode 46 on finding the right clients for you. And we would love if you would share any um, ideas with us that you have on this topic as well. Uh, You know, this is the kind of thing that comes with time. So finding the right clients is sort of a lifelong endeavor (laughs) when you have a Mm -hmm. business. Um, But hopefully the tips in that episode will be useful as well.
1: True. Yeah. And to wrap up, we'd like to share some tips that we received from other translators and interpreters. Uh, While preparing for this episode, we asked um, this question on Twitter and LinkedIn. What tips would you share with someone taking a translation or interpreting certification exam? And we were blown away by so many fantastic tips shared by the TNI community. So here are some of them. This one is from Beth Smith. Um, She's an ATA certified French to English translator. Get feedback on your work via practice tests, a class, a translation partner and or a certification group. I took an eight week translation workshop before my ATA exam, which was a happy coincidence and paired up with a colleague to trade and grade a couple of practice passages. Remember that there's nothing wrong with looking up a word in your native language to be absolutely sure it's right for that particular situation. Um, This next one is from Corinne McKay, who is an ATA certified French to English translator, certified court interpreter, and conference interpreter. Go over every single word even the stuff that seems obvious because sometimes you make usage mistakes in your own language because linguistic usage has gotten looser or sloppier in everyday situations and you'll get dinged for it on the exam. In general, leave nothing to chance on the exam day. Plan what and when you're going to eat, what pens you're going to use, what your warm-up routine is going to be and so on. If it is a testing center, scope the place before you go. And if it's at home, set up everything ahead of time. This next one is from Dmitry Bischotny, who is an ATA-certified English-to-Russian translator and judiciary interpreter. If you come across a quote in a translation exam, you could try googling it in the target language. There's a chance it is a quote that has been translated before and is now a famous quote associated with that person. This recently happened to me. For Russian, for example, the search engine that works best is Yandex. From Karen Yasevich-Schmucker, she's an ata certified Russian to English translator. For translation, I really recommend joining a practice group of your peers. I did practice translations for nearly a year before passing my exam. Uh, from Carla Mora, English to, into Italian, uh, translator and localizer. If taking the trans, trance, uh, read plenty of well-written news articles and specialized resources in your target language. Find a good preparation course where you are assigned a tutor to give you feedback on your translations.
0: Wow, these are excellent. Um, and I have several more here. So from Veronica Coronel uh, Escobar, who's certified English English-Spanish medical interpreter and translator. Veronica shared... I'd say paraphrasing a difficult sentence or paragraph in the source language works wonders. It allows you to make sure you fully understand before translating it and to identify the difficulties. And We have another one here from Yasmin Alkashef, who is an ATA-certified Arabic to English translator, certified court and medical interpreter, and a conference interpreter. And Yasmin shares that in translation tests, I think time management is crucial. In interpreting tests, I would say nerve management. Both can be developed with practice and the correct mindset. I love that tip too. Um, From Augustina Gonzalez-Grucci, Gruchi, is ATA certified in English into Spanish. She said, I took the ATA certification exam this year online and passed. For this exam, I think a good tip is to take the practice test and then look at all the information on the website. I read all the articles and then included the most useful tips in a Word document to have on hand. I also checked my online dictionaries, for example, the one for prepositions, and paper dictionaries of idioms, false cognates, and Marina Orellana's glossary, uh, to see where I could find solutions to potential translation problems. I examined each of the online resources allowed by the ATA, and for months I tried to use them as a reference in my daily work. I tried to get out of my comfort zone and practice with more journalistic texts, which I am not used to translating. I tried to translate one or two texts a week for the three months prior to the exam, and then I went back to my review uh, to review my versions with a critical eye. I also tried to read as much as I could in my target language." And this next one is from Kenneth McCarrow, who is ATA certified German to English. And he said, I would say, know how you're going to approach the workflow. I would first read the instructions, read the text from start to finish, read the instructions again. Go back to the first text and translate to produce a first draft. Keeping an eye on time, notice what comes easily and what you will want to come back to. I use subconscious processing to my advantage all the time. Reading the text through allows my brain to start pre-translating it subconsciously. It's the same with challenging terms and phrasings. Come back to these at the end. And remember to give yourself time to review. If you can, close your eyes for five minutes before reviewing your translation. It will be worth it even and especially during a test. And then there's one more here from Jennifer Richmond, who's a translator from English, Danish, Swedish, and Norwegian to German. And Jennifer said that definitely ask somebody who took the exam in the past about what to expect and maybe get a hold of some old exams. If not familiar with the location, go there early, and if possible, even the day before. Wow, those are really good.
1: Um, And we have um, some more for interpreting exams. Um, specifically so this one is from Corinne McKay again Uh, most people fail because they simply don't prepare enough Uh, for example, for the Colorado court interpreter exam, um, I did 400 hours of direct prep and at least that much working on my spoken French. From Jason Knapp, certified English, uh, Spanish court medical interpreter and conference interpreter, and ATA certified Spanish to English translator. My advice is number one, learn all you can about the exam you're taking and focusing on mastering the performance elements they're looking for. Number two, don't get too hung up on terminology. And three, be consistent with your practice routine. Number three is key. Um, And then from Judy Jenner, who is a certified judicial and conference interpreter from German and Spanish into English. For interpreting, spend more time practicing interpreting than terminology. Remember that it is an interpreting exam, not terminology um, exam. Warm up your voice, uh, practice interpreting right before exam, but do a video um, that you excel at to build confidence. Eat a light meal, arrive early, and don't let others distract you.
0: Wow. I'm so surprised how many people sent their um, recommendations in, and we just have a few more here we want to share because they're so good. Um, From Sabine Jaeger, who is an EU-accredited German, French, and English conference interpreter, Sabine said, cover a vast range of, of very different topics. Recognizing something, even vaguely, when you have to interpret, makes it less scary. Make sure you get a good night's sleep, stop practicing, do something relaxing. Feeling rested is key for concentration. And then Rebecca Shoruck, uh, who is an English, French, German, and Spanish conference interpreter, said, with more and more interpreting exams being held online these days, have spares of absolutely everything, headsets, adapters, etc., plus a backup internet source, and have the tech helpline number on hand. And then from Isabella Reindel, uh, English and German conference interpreter and sworn translator. She says, I found the speech I had to interpret online by accident and stay as relaxed as possible. It has no consequence if you get one thing wrong. In real life, you have clients helping you out with vocabulary lists, etc., and listen to what is being said closely.
1: Wow. Uh, really amazing advice from, uh, from all of our colleagues and um, just a huge thanks to everyone who responded to our posts on social media and shared their tips. Um, This was such an interesting topic to discuss, and I hope that our listeners find it helpful too. Um, And if you have any helpful tips for preparing for certification exams or translation tests and would like to share them with us, send us an email at hello at smarthabitsfortranslators.com or tag us on social media. We're on Twitter and LinkedIn, and you'll find the links to our profiles in the show notes for this episode. And before we go, let's share our latest reads for our Book Nook segment. So I have two uh, reads to share today. I'm reading two books simultaneously, as I often do. (laughs) One is for pleasure. The other one is more kind of educational, practical. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm finally reading The Silent Patient that you have recommended a while ago. Um, yeah. That's by Alex uh, Michaelides. And I love the book. It um, I'm almost done with it. And it's it's amazing. I really wish I <laughs> read it
0: earlier. Oh, Wait till you Sooner. get to the end. Yeah. The oh. end is oh. something. Oh, my gosh. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah uh, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, and the other one I'm reading is called Habits of a Happy Brain uh, by Loretta graziano Breuning. Um, I think that's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, um, and subtitle is Retrain Your Brain to Boost Your Serotonin, Dopamine, Oxytocin, and Endorphin Levels. So this book is uh, is really well written. It's not too, it doesn't get too technical, if you know what I mean. It kind of, it's more, it's really accessible. Um, it's really fun to read, and it talks about the things that make you tend to make you happy, how your brain responds to certain things uh, mm-hmm. that make you feel happy, and what things can make you feel sad or upset for some reason and some some of the things are things you maybe wouldn't even realize would make you feel sad. Um, and then it talks about um, the way to uh, kind of reverse um, that um, trajectory on and what what are some things that you can do to um, have a happier brain (laughs) to feel more happy and to avoid the things or situations or triggers that you have learned make you feel sad. Um, So I find it really interesting. I think that's um, not just from personal perspective, but also if you're a parent, if you are talking about handling feelings with your kids, that's just a really helpful advice um, in the book. What about you, Madalena?
0: Cool. That one sounds really interesting. Um, It's not... I would not have gotten all of that just from the title, so mm-hmm. I was glad to hear you say that. Um, the, a book that I just finished is called *The Perfect Marriage*, and on the title, the word "perfect" is uh, has a strike through; it's crossed out. Um, and it's very interesting. The cover is sort of what drew me in, and also that it's it's a newer book um, and it's gotten quite a bit of buzz lately. Um, but the cover has a, a pair of wedding rings on it and some like drops of blood. Wow. So, and then there's like a um, you know me, I like thrillers, so mm-hmm. there's a um, like a tagline under the title that says, His mistress is dead, his wife is his only hope. <sighs> so, of course, then I had to read what of the summary course. was. And um, it is a psychological thriller, uh, but it's, it's kind of written in a format a little bit different from a lot of books that I tend to read. It goes back and forth between the husband and wife, uh, chapter by chapter, um, you know, each chapter, one of them is telling the story. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting in that way. And I kind of like that type of, um, you know, format. Um, so the story starts out with, uh, a husband and wife, a couple who are in the Washington DC area. Um, she's a successful defense attorney, and he is a, a writer who's sort of struggling to make his career, um, you know, uh, Feasible, like, long term. Um, And so it turns out that he has an affair, and she, being a defense attorney, ends up being the one to defend him after uh, it's found out that the uh, woman that he was having the affair with was murdered. So it's, it's a really interesting story. It goes back and forth, um, telling the story from his perspective and her perspective. I will say that the storytelling was good. There were some parts that I found were a bit rambly, but if you can get past that, <sighs> which I think most people could, because it's just really um, character-driven, mm-hmm. I would stick with it. And I kind of knew who did it before the book was done, so I was a little annoyed with that. Oh. but. That, I, I do that a lot, though, yeah. so I can't really say that that ruined the book for me. I just You're kind pro. of knew. I, I don't know. I just read too many of these books. I had a, I had a strong feeling of who did it. Uh-huh. Um, But it was interesting to see like how the other characters played into the story with these two. Mm-hmm. Um, And I thought that the author did a really nice job of describing the characters, both their personalities and the settings where they um, like spent their time. So it, it was good. I would read another book by this uh, author. The author is Geneva Rose. Um, and she's fairly young. And I think I want to say she has another couple of books perhaps. I didn't really look before we, we started recording Mm -hmm. this, but, um, and I think she's got a couple coming out soon too. So she's one, I would say, Probably to watch for Oh, that sounds really interesting
1: mm-hmm. okay well that's a wrap for today's episode and by the way we wanted to share some fun news with you too we will be kicking off a new smart habits for translators insiders group in 2023 so watch for more information on our social media channels in our bi-weekly emails and right here on the podcast Later this week, our email subscribers will receive a summary of this episode with all the links to the resources we mentioned today, and you'll also get a sneak peek into the topic of our next episode. If you're not receiving our emails yet, please sign up on our website, smarthabitsfortranslators.com.
0: And if you liked this episode, please do us a favor and share it with colleagues or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It only takes a minute to leave a review, and it helps other translators and interpreters find our podcast. If you're not sure how to leave a review, please check the show notes for this episode for a quick tutorial. Talk to you soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered some simple strategies that you can apply today at work or at home to help you achieve the lifestyle you desire. If you did, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic you want us to cover, please
1: send us a message at hello at translators.com. If you liked this episode, we'd appreciate if you'd leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and please share the podcast with other translators you know.